Hello and welcome to another episode of Flamenco Attitude. As you well know by now, this is the podcast where we bring you all things flamenco. We talk about all things flamenco. And um, it's a podcast where I personally never stop learning from because I'm not an expert. I will leave that to my co-host, guitarist Marcos, who has spent a lot of time in Andalusia and with actual performers of flamenco from Spain and across the world. And you know how we love talking about um, everything that's connected to the culture. Well, today we're going to explore something a little bit different. Before that though, I would like to say hello, welcome, and thank you very much to our audience in Singapore and Peru. Thank you so much for joining um, our expanding <laughs> and growing audience. We're really grateful for that. and. Um, Hopefully you've enjoyed everything we've done so far and everything that is to come. Now, today we're talking about any artist but flamenco. Is that correct, Mar Well, we'll have a little bit of flamenco, but um, we're exploring Marcus's listening to other artists because guess what? Even though you may be a huge admirer of a certain genre, you will listen to something else as well. We all do. We listen to uh, current, something from back in the day. We listen to one genre, but we, we, we listen to other things as well, even if just to compare how good our taste in music is. We're going to go back into Marcus's um, younger years where he first listened to um, charting artists from back in the day, and we'll explore his love to towards other musical genres too, and how they actually correspond with flamenco and how they helped him fall in love in flamenco music as he has been in love with it all his life. So yeah, without further... It's interesting to say there are two answers to Without this. further ado, let's dive into our episode Beyond Flamenco, we'll call it. Okay, Marcos, cue. Right. I mean, there's two answers to this. You, you either... I've only ever played flamenco, and that's what you did right from the beginning of your life. Or you got to it through a certain route. And even though you're mad on flamenco, of course, you still listen to other artists. And all the great flamenco artists listen to, listen to other artists. Yeah, so yeah. we have to be honest about that, and there's no point in hiding it. Give me an example, then. Who great flamenco listened to someone else? Well, I mean, the greatest of all, Paco de Lucia. Yeah. He must have explored... I mean, he he played uh, concerts with Santana. We're going to talk Santana. about that later. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he he listened to all the great uh, jazz artists. He listened to Jimi Hendrix, who we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, we're going to talk about all these artists. Yeah. But you're going to now take me back to your, I would say, school years, when the Beatles mania was rocking the whole world. And, of course, you were touched by it as well. Yeah, I've got to be honest. Um, <laughs> I was mad on the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, they did influence me a lot. Uh, I had all their records and things like that. Uh, and the problem for me as, as a very young boy was my, my family never had the money to get me a guitar. And I always wanted a guitar and was mad on the Beatles and they moved me forward. Now, an interesting story. Uh, one night my mother came back. She didn't really know anything about the Beatles. And she said, oh, well, I've got this uh, signature for you. I, I met a man at a party. All oh, right, who's that? And it was incredible. It was a, a senior service packet of cigarettes and signed by George Harrison. Yeah. Yeah? I mean... <laughs> 
and this is did you time. jump? Did you jump through the roof? I, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And yeah, I, I've still got it now. And it was at a time when, when the Beatles brought out Hard Day's Night. Yeah, you'd go to the cinema and you wouldn't watch it once. You tried to stay there. And see it four see times. Everything. Yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously John Lennon, uh, his guitar playing, all of these things lead into you moving towards where I am now uh, from eleven as a, as a flamenco artist. Did you admire them because they were pretty much people who came from nothing, learned them, taught themselves how to teach, how to uh, study the instruments and sing, and all. was that was that why? I don't, I don't know whether I thought about it's, that. You just got swept by just it. their artistry. Yeah. Um, seeing John Lennon play the guitar the way he did, yeah, uh, and. Uh, then when I, w I went to a, a new school, we used to go into a shop to try and look in the music sheets to find out what chords yeah. they were using. You know, this yeah. was the beginning of me. Uh, I had got a guitar by then, uh, a Russian guitar, and it's probably extremely difficult to play. Yeah. And trying to think, well, what on earth? Are they are they actually playing there? And I, I got involved with a, a very good, talented guitarist in my year, and he started to show me things, and I started to learn more and more about the guitar. He told me once, I think, that you were trying to figure out how they play Norwegian wood. Yes. Was yeah, that I mean, All of these things were a complete mystery, because yeah. you, you, you were hearing about chords that you'd never heard of or yeah. what on earth is that and you, I mean, you were going to these shops to look in a book to see where you put the fingers to get that you know so that was all the beginnings of it of course once you move into flamenco you're into another completely different world where the chords are even more exotic Exo yeah well when did your love for the Beatles started fading away then um I think probably once I got to uh, secondary school yeah and I started uh, discovering uh, great guitarists like Bert Yance mm. um, Davy Graham who we'll talk about a little bit later who who I met and, and was, was met in the Troubadour Club and later interviewed him uh, shortly before he died uh, and then I think things started to change for me because I got into uh, very much the the stewards yeah we're going to talk about the two stewards <laughs> coming up but i can't close the segment before asking you well back in the day what was the song that you used to listen to a lot by the beatles what was theirs because well, obviously if, if you if you have to make a top 10 beat yeah, you yeah. won't be able to everyone will tell you different top yeah, 10 yeah. even no, top I think, 100 well, i think you've named it because there's something about norwegian wood that is fascinating that you could play it many times. Um, I was very interested in the album uh, Rubber Soul. Yeah. And when I went on holiday uh, in England uh, to uh, Devon, places like that, I even took my copy of Sgt. Pepper's. Mm. And the Sgt. Pepper's record, uh, I made probably Day in the Life from that. It it's, was an, a big influence on me. Uh, the, the direction I was travelling in, day in the life. Favourite Beatle? John Lennon. Oh, I've got to say, and George Harrison. Okay, we're now moving into uh, the two stewards, namely Rod and Al Stewart. They're not related, I don't think. <laughs> no, they're not. Um, I mean, it's weird now because 
You um, were in your mod years. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I was listening to uh, Rod Stewart. I've still got these these albums, and as a student, I used to play them quite a lot. But a little bit before that, um, I was mad on Al Stewart, and I've still got an album which he signed and everything, um, which is is wonderful. And I I used to collect every album that Al Stewart had made. You know, so alongside already by this time, of course, I was playing flamenco, but this was sort of going along at the same time. It was a double track, and Al Stewart led me really into something that I've always, I'm still mad on, and we have a room full of uh, his albums. So many, it's just um, incredible. Yeah, uh, John Martin. And we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna yeah. dedicate a section to John Martin. Um, but uh, when things obviously started changing for you, and you started exploring other artists like Rod Stewart and Al Stewart, was that a reflection on your life as well? Was something changing within your life too? Well, I was a young man yeah. at university, so yeah. that was uh, that. That says a lot, doesn't and, it? And you have these <laughs> minute rooms that, that they used to have to stay in, exactly. And you have yeah. to, and you'd have a little stove, you know, with just about one uh, pot on it, you know, that you could cook anything on. So you you put on your Al Stewart record. Exactly. I used to have them all in a in a cardboard box. Yeah. You know. Well, this is what I love talking about music and memories because. A lot of people, as you know now, will, will connect music to, you know, when they were young back in the day. Or they will say, do you know, these songs remind me of the time when, you know, I think that's why it's so important. Um, okay, well, what would you recommend then from Rod Stewart and Al oh, Stewart yeah, for us? You've got me there. I mean, from Al Stewart, um, I think uh, Zero She Flies is, is, is a fantastic album. Uh, you've got me on the Rod Stewart. Maybe I can... I, th I think it's something like Sing It Again, Rod, or something mm, like that. Yeah. Love it. I've got, I've got the album uh, uh, upstairs. It's in the shape of a, of a sort of a beer glass. I love it. <laughs> but I can't remember the exact title. You always get catch me out on this. I know. That's my job, yeah. you know. Okay, who are we going to talk about next? You have actually a good list. Um, I'm impressed. You know why I'm impressed? Because... You are the example of somebody who is completely committed to flamenco. And yet, of course, you listen to other artists. I mean, between you, me and the audience, okay, um, I've tried to introduce Marcos to artists and he's completely just said, ah, that's nothing, you know? So he sticks to his traditional um, choices of his. But anyway. Yeah, I think the reason for that is that um, when I was reasonably young, uh, I came to Oxford and got and got involved with the University Guitar Society. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the whole project of that was, uh, apart from having meetings where people could play all styles of guitar, we put on all the greats in all the different genres: folk, classical, you name it. And how did you decide that this is the society for you? Obviously, oh, well, you were playing the guitar. Yeah, I mean, there was no doubt about it because it gave you the opportunity to. Uh, perform and to connect with people who also yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean it, I mean it links with you know I I eventually became the secretary of it and a very good friend of the president and as you know we've said in the previous episode 
he came with me to Sevilla to, yeah. to watch me uh, work with one of the great maestros, Pepe Martini. But in those days, I mean, you know, one of the concerts I can remember is the guitarist uh, Leo Kotke, you know, so you were introduced to, to him. Uh, incredibly, recently, down, down in Wales, I managed to find a collection of about five of his albums that I didn't mm. have. But when he came to us, he produced this album uh, my feet are smiling. That's a good title for that a record, isn't it? That is a good one. <laughs> How are feet smiling, Marcos? Yeah. And um, we put on artists like Ralph Mattel, uh, who you know, who had just had this massive hit with Streets of London. Uh, you know, so these were these were big concerts. But what I'm going to do is take you back, in a way, to my childhood because what I've not told you about is. There you go, you're surprising me well, as well. Well, I used to want a magazine called BMG, which stands for Banjo, Mandolin, oh Guitar. I know. And my, I used to do a paper round for the newsagent, and I'd say, oh, have you got my magazine? The and he'd BMG. Say, he'd say, yes, but you can't have it yet. You haven't done your full week's work. Exactly. You have to deserve it. <laughs> so I'd get this magazine. And bear in mind, you know, I'm only about 11 or 12, and I'd read it and not understand a word of it. But I'd think, well, it's cost me so much money, I've got to read every line in it. Yeah. And um, one of the pages was about an artist very well known now, Joni Mitchell. Yeah. And it was saying, well, these are the open tunings that she is using, you see, and they'd have diagrams. And I'd think, what on earth are these open tunings? Mm. You know? Because I didn't have anyone showing me any of this sort of stuff. Of course, now I use open tunings and have used them. But the incredible thing is, if we bring it to now, Vicente Amigo, probably one of the, the, the greatest flamenco guitarists now, um, he uses these open tunings. Yeah, and aren't you annoyed that in, in this day and age, when we hear Johnny Mitchell, we usually think, oh, Big Yellow Taxi. Is the song the only? Yeah, yeah, Were you yeah, a little bit annoyed yeah, about that? Yeah, even though her artistry is uh, massive. No, I mean, her, some of her, her albums. Well, all of her albums are incredible. Yeah, incredible pieces of work. Hmm? And do they have a, a a duet or how would you call it with Vicente Amigo? Well, no. I mean, Vicente is, is obviously. You were saying, do flamenco artists listen to these people? Yeah. Clearly, he, he's, he's recently got very much into folk festivals and things like yeah. that. And he, I mean, when, when he did the record with El Pelli, uh, that record is full of open tunings, mm -hmm. uh, which are very difficult to do on the guitar because you've got to retune the strings and everything for the particular piece. But he must have got the inspiration from folk music. Yeah. Because before this, flamenco only had one change of string for the rondeña, taking the, 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 the E down to D and putting the, the other string in F sharp. This is the only thing that ever happened. There weren't no such things or any such things as open tunings. Now, many flamenco artists use them, particularly when making studio albums. Yeah. And Tomatito has used them, all kinds of people have used open tunings. Yeah, well, because you... We should probably say what an open tuning is. In, but in I, was, that, I, was, I, was, I was about to say that because I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, OK, I'm trying to make out that I know what you're talking yeah, about, yeah. but not really. Yeah. I mean, what Explain. it is, is the guitar is tuned in a particular way. Well, I won't go through what it is, but it, that's called standard tuning. 
So if anyone picks up a guitar that can only play a few chords, it'll all sound fine. But the open tuning is where you change a number of the strings to a completely different note. So you wouldn't be able to do the same sort of chord patterns because it would sound completely out of tune. So you've got to really know the tuning that you're in. And it enhances the sound. And it can give you a very low bass, a higher treble, a, a very rich, more richer sound. Yeah. yeah. Well, guitar players out there would know what Marcus yeah. is talking about. And uh, you obviously won't recommend Big Yellow Taxi, but if you could recommend a song by Johnny Well, Mitchell. I know about a song, but the album Blue, you know, that, that's an absolute classic. Anything off Blue is wonderful. Brilliant. Well, you, I'm not sure whether you're going to talk about this, but we, you know, briefly mentioned um, some flamenco artists that were fascinated by, um, let's say, charting artists of the day. Are you inclined to say that the Rolling Stones were a fan of a particular flamenco artist that you love as well? Well, I'm glad you put it the other way around, because that's, that's fantastic, because Camarón de la Isla, he went to Paris on many occasions, but on the early occasions when he was attracting very substantial audiences, uh, the great uh, newspapers of France described him as the, the Mick Jagger of flamenco. And this got to the attention of Mick Jagger, yeah. who incredibly uh, much later gave him his jacket, mm. yeah? And he was totally fascinated by Cameron. Yeah. So in a way, we're talking about me being interested in, ah, in rock genres, and pops yeah. and all of that, but it happens the other way in certain occasions. Of course. And Mick Jagger was absolutely in awe of Cameron. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think Cameron listens to any other music, any other type of music? <laughs> well, because he was very busy actually exploring all uh, all the flamenco subgenres. Well, what what I could say is that when he came to Abbey Road, um, he, as far as I know, yeah, he'd never heard of the Beatles. If that yeah. answers your question, yeah, I've never heard Nothing wrong with it. Because <laughs> he he came to Abbey Road to to record. Um, yeah, what, what did he record? Soy so, he so that's what we're going to play. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And also, uh, you not only listen to other types of music, but if, if it's fair to say that you actually toured with somebody who was not a flamenco artist once. Yeah. Um, John James, again, you see, this goes back to the Oxford Guitar Society days where we used to book John. He's a leader in ragtime guitar fantastic player and uh, I did have the privilege much later of going on to work with him uh, we did tours of Wales we did uh, tours uh, uh, over England and we, we had a famous time at the Edinburgh Festival now you'll love this because John had a way of saying right <clears throat> You go out first, yeah. or I'll go. You know, it, you never knew what was going to happen. <clears throat> so in Edinburgh, I think it was at the Lyceum. They said, "No, you go out first. 
So it's a very large crowd and I was quite nervous. And I was playing at ridiculous speeds because of my nerves and everything. Mm. So I finished and John had managed to find somewhere in behind the, the theatre stage a hand of a dummy, you see? Yeah. So he came back in front of the audience and said, Oh, Marcos, you, you've forgotten your hand. Oh, God. <laughs> it's come off because you were playing so fast. That's and, of sweet. course, the audience went crazy, you know? Was... But did they do you think they liked you? Well, yeah, but they love it because he does this in a wonderful Welsh accent. Yeah, yeah. Is he from Wales? He's from Wales, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the ragtime guitar is a really... A difficult thing because you think that you're playing on a guitar music that was essentially written for the piano and so it's yeah a, it's of course ragtime is mainly performed on the piano yeah, so it's a real art to be able to play it it's much harder on the guitar the, mm. the transcriptions as we call them you know I remember you told me once that um, John and you were going into um, I don't know maybe you were just arriving at some venue and he was not supposed to come in, but he just said, oh, hi, John James, and yeah. kind of went in. He always so, introduced him so that the people think, oh, yeah, yeah, that's how he did it, yeah. And then he, Straight would, do, in. he would do a clap, oh, yeah. oh the acoustic is not, uh, you know, and then, you know, he, he would want everything perfect. He was a perfectionist. And he used to practice very hard in, in, in this very house. Am I correct in thinking that he, did he work or had some connection with Phil Collins? I remember something with... No, that, that's your thinking of John Martin. Right, which who we're going to talk to about next. But yeah. before we go to him, um, would you recommend anything from John James? Well, um, yeah, I mean, he's got a, a, a record um, live at... Um, What's the theatre called in camp? Uh, uh, Chalk Farm, the Roundhouse. Yeah, he's got. He's, he made a live album at the Roundhouse. That that's a, a brilliant record, and it shows you what he's like. As as because the key <laughs> thing about John is he is a brilliant live performer. Okay, on to John Martin. Then, oh. by the way, um, wonderful uh, time before COVID. Uh, Marcos was able to go to the BBC studios where we work our day job. You know, this is our this. By the way, our podcast is our little side hobby. You know, we we do have other jobs, but Marcos came in and recorded a wonderful tribute to John Martin. What 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 anniversary was it? Oh. I, th I think it, it was it was an anniversary, definitely, and you well, well, came it, and recorded. It, well, it, yeah, um, I did two things actually. Um, yeah, I did a, a program, a brief piece about you know when he short, shortly after he died. I think almost the, the following day. Um, John it remains a massive influence on Name, me. Name, yeah. You know, I've got the, the amount of material I've got of oh, records John, of his yeah. is just. You couldn't. It's beyond, you know. And I, I, I used to play flamenco and John Martin all the time. Only John Martin flamenco, John Martin flamenco. Uh, I went to see. I met him in in, in London, uh, in a bar where he was about to play, and then much later I met him when you were talking about Phil Collins. Uh, I yeah. met him uh, just going into into his hotel on the way to the concert. And uh, he teamed up with, with Phil Collins. Yeah, Phil Collins. Yeah. Which back in the day was a big thing. 
It was because there there was John with his one electric guitar yeah, yeah. and Phil with a drum with kit. I mean, it's, it's a, a drum kit that took up the, the whole of the stage. So, uh, but of course, it was John's concert. Yeah, yeah. And so, yes, that was a big thing. And you know, we'll always love John because it, you know, uh, you returned to his old albums as the seventies went on. Uh, you couldn't wait for another record to come out. And then in the 80s, it carried on. And I don't know, you know, his actual product is, is unbelievable how much he put out. Yeah. Um, I believe, unfortunately, later in life, he'll, he lost one of his uh, yeah. legs. Yeah. Um, but I think he continued playing. He did continue yeah. playing, yeah. 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 He did another concert, yeah. What was he like as a person? Because obviously you met him. Yeah, I mean... Um, it was it was very um, he's a very friendly man you know he could get annoyed with people um, he could get annoyed with with management and things like that but um, he was you know a consummate musician he was only interested in playing and singing and writing stuff you know that, that's that's all he was interested in and he worked with some of the great musicians and of course top musicians. Uh, wanted to always be on his records. Hmm. He's one of these people that most people don't know. But he never charted, did he? Well, no, I mean, but... Or maybe he did, but... You know, he wouldn't want to. I mean, <laughs> if that happened to him, he would be quite annoyed because he'd know he was doing something wrong, yeah. if that makes sense. B but he wrote and performed for other artists. Yeah, so some of the great artists, you know, Eric Clapton, yeah. is on one of his albums, you know, because um, he's an idol of many of the great musicians, mm. but not necessarily known by the general public. Yeah. Uh, what would you like to hear from John Martin? Well... That could be a difficult question. No, I mean, I'll refer you to an album, because you've got to know what his live stuff was like, uh, live at Leeds. And on there is the great bassist, uh, Danny Thompson. And it's there's some very funny jokes and, and playing and it's 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 a <clears throat> I mean I remember receiving this album. John issued this initially uh, himself from his own house, and it's it's all it's an all white record, and it's it's brilliant. Brilliant. Now I also know that you uh, like your jazz on occasion, and uh, an artist that uh, I think anyone uh, who listens to jazz admires very much is Miles Davis. And he actually, now we're getting more into our genre here. Miles Davis recorded an album called Sketches of Spain. He did indeed. And it's an incredible record. I, I think it's from uh, off the top of my head, 1959. Yeah. I mean, don't quote me on Do that. you have it? <laughs> obviously, have, your I personal have, collection. Yeah, I do yeah. have it, yeah. Yeah. And on it, it's got the actual names of the flamenco styles, yeah, like Soliar, etc., etc. Yeah, Cadiz as well. Yeah. We have Cadiz yeah. mentioned. Now I couldn't when I first heard it. I was trying to think, but I don't get it. Yeah, you, you know, because I'm thinking, well, how is this a Soliar? I can't see the beats, you know. But the more you you start to play it, you realise that he's absorbed the flamenco and he's turned it into jazz. Yeah, so, so yeah, yeah. It, which is what jazz people do. 
so you can't identify things that easily but it's a wonderful record and he, I mean he did another another flamenco influence record as well did but he? yes I do have a copy of it and I would recommend anybody that's into flamenco to buy sketches of Spain and you'll hear trumpet playing at its best Now, I'm really curious to tell me a little bit more about Santana collaborating with Paco de Lucia because uh, Santana remains one of the most world-renowned uh, guitar players, as does Paco. Only Santana is still with us. Yeah. So. Well, um, as you know, this is my memory. Yeah. Paco um, started, he, he actually had started working with jazz musicians. But before he got onto the John McLaughlin and all of that yeah. stuff, he he actually played concerts, as far as I remember, in Boorings in, in, in Spain uh, with Santana, with Carlos Santana. Uh, I think I've got in my massive collection upstairs uh, a picture uh, of them doing this, you know. So, so it shows you that Buckle not only was listening to other musicians, he was prepared to experiment work and yeah. work with them yeah yeah do you uh, maybe you have read interviews or uh, press releases etc what did he say about santana as a musician or what did santana say about paco as a, one of the greatest oh, I mean, guitar both, players they both admired each other did, they did yeah yeah i mean you know they're, they're two of the greats aren't they you know yeah i mean the the great thing about santana is that uh, quality of note that he produces yeah. and as John James taught me a long time ago that all comes from the left hand yeah it's the left hand that produces the tone <laughs> yeah and yeah. he's got that tone and of course Baco is best known really for that right hand yeah. that, that is flying at, at an incredible so rate. Th th there is an exception to every rule, <laughs> you know. But uh, I remember, because um, Carlos Santana does a lot of, obviously, for people who are prepared to pay a lot, he teaches online classes. I believe he has an online, I believe he has an online class, yeah. uh, a master class. And uh, I saw only the advert on uh, uh, the internet. And he says, you know, the guitar player makes the most ugly face when he produces the most beautiful music or something like that. Which I think it's true because a lot of musicians have these kind of uh, rhythms like a, that they get. They do a grimace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when they're going into a particular... Because they know what's thing. happening. Yeah, they're trying to... Yeah. Uh, anything that you would like from Santana? He has a lot of great oh, music. I'm... I used to know the names of all its albums. <laughs> like you've got me on the spot there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I personally really like Black Magic Woman. Oh yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go yeah, for that. Yeah. You're better at this than me. Now, before we go into our number one for you, still, uh, I have a little surprise for you, and I hope you don't mind this honorary mention of uh, Julian Bream, who I think I believe we lost quite recently yeah i mean uh, julian bream was again a great influence um a wonderful player and there's lots of things about him that i i read and, and yeah was like he he had a kind of a thing that you know what makes you do a good concert is yeah. if you've been paid in advance <laughs> and, and you can put the money in your pocket that's a good incentive i'd say <laughs> and um and of course he had this um, house where he had guitar makers um, 
he devoted his whole life to the guitar. He was a, 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 a prodigy, you know, a child prodigy, and he, you know, he did all the usual things of playing at the Wigmore Hall or all of that. Um, and then he went on and he became very interested in Spain and he actually made for the BBC uh, a whole series of, of himself in Spain in all the different areas, exploring the composers, the players. And of course, the great thing about him was he wasn't just a guitar player, he was an expert performer on the lute, yeah. the form, form runner or, or, of the guitar, you know? Yeah. And he, um, where did he live? He's in Wiltshire. In Wiltshire, yeah, yeah. in Wiltshire, England. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, I I remember when the news last year broke out of his uh, of his passing. That yeah. uh, a few of my colleagues said, "Oh, you know, Marcus would be um, would be upset to hear that yeah, we lost Julian yeah. Bream." Yeah. And, um, and you're probably going to ask me what records or something. I will well, ask well, you. I mean, I'm saying this off the top of my head. Yeah. He, he made a record with uh, John Williams. I think it's called Together. So, um, and they did some very nice, another great guitarist, of course, John Williams, but they did some very nice duets, and that would be a good one, I think, to try. And now, the ultimate number one artist that Marcos is... Still to this day, very much listening to all the time, uh, he visited the uh, house of this uh, performer <laughs> a few years ago when COVID was still not raging around. Uh, massively impressed by everything that he saw there and learned about his life. And actually, this artist has connection, very close connection to the flamenco music. We're talking, of course, about the great Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. I mean, once... Uh, from a child, I was obsessed with Jimi Hendrix. Um, in a little council flat where we lived in London, I had posters up of him. He was unbelievable and he inspired me massively. And um, one day I went down Oxford Street and I just nagged my mother to buy me uh, one of his albums, uh, Axis Boulder's Love, which they were selling in a special cover for one pound. You know, and I, I've still got that to this day. No. Uh, in the same way as the, when he died, they brought out a special single, or EP, which was only available uh, on on the day. And you're talking about John Martin not charting, and of course that record did go straight into the charts. Uh, you know, well, I think it reached number two, which was an amazing, uh, amazing thing for an artist like that. Now, of course. <clears throat> the thing about Jimi Hendrix is he's not just a guitarist, he's a bit like Paco de Lucia. He dominated music in a way that nobody will ever do. Mm -hmm. It's a bit like Paco or Camarón because he was, you know, the man at Woodstock. He was the man at the Isle of Wight. So these are festivals that will never be repeated with the numbers of people that went to went to it yeah um there's never been an artist like like jimi hendrix who can attract you know he's he is like the Cameron of the rock world because just the fact that you you say and he's going to appear somewhere hundred thousand people will come you know because yeah. he's just unique so jimi hendrix you know he's using um I know, scales and things which we, we started to incorporate into flamenco. 
you, you know, to see him play, it, it's another thing. Short, you know, the sad thing is he had a, a short life. And tragic life, yeah. Yeah, and so we, I mean, the, there are many, many examples of his playing out there. There's, you know, but in, in reality, he didn't make that many records, but there are hundreds of records because they're all outtakes of this, that and the other. Um, what would I recommend? Well, I mean, that single, by the way, that we're talking about that my mother had to go and get, that's Voodoo Child, which is an incredible record. But if I was going to say a record to get, <clears throat> strangely enough, Cry of Love or Rainbow Bridge. These aren't normally seen as some of his main records because I think Cry of Love was finished after his death, but you can correct me on that. But I want to end by saying um, what he meant to Paco de Lucia. And Paco said, that divine and crazy man. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Flamenco Attitude, which today had a little bit less flamenco, more attitude, but we'll be, we'll be going back to our normal from the next episode. Uh, I think it was incredible to hear how someone who has devoted his life to flamenco and very much lives with it every day also explore, or explores other genres, has you know, favorite tracks from other types of artists. And uh, I think it's wonderful to, you know, when we hear about collaborations between artists of the flamenco genre and the rock, the pop world, the jazz world, etc. Until the next time, whether you listen to, play or learn about flamenco, remember to always follow the beat. <laughs>